Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how the episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 505, entitled This Place is Death. This is the 91st episode of the series, and there are 30 to go. First though, let's start with a tweet from John Bowman, who said, only earlier today, concerning uh, well, the episode The Little Prince, how do you review The Little Prince without analyzing the gunfight on the outrigger, who it was, and when? John, certainly fair criticism there. The bottom line is this. To me, there's not much mystery uh, revolving around the outrigger. And that's because with the show now over, we can definitively say it's just a loose thread. Uh, We can say that it was something that was truly never, ever uh, resolved. Unfortunately, based on my understanding from Lostpedia, there was the intention for that to be uh, a very smart closed loop according to Damon Lindelof, and uh, the intention was during season six to definitely show the other half of that. And uh, it just simply never came to pass. They felt that at a certain point it would be shoehorning it in for them to kind of force the issue. So who was it? The show doesn't care. Uh, When was it? It was intended to be the future. Uh, Is that canonical? Well, I suppose it is, if that was the intention, even though they didn't follow up on it. Um, Certainly the, the... bits and pieces on the, the beach, the flotsam and jetsam post post uh, crash by, by a number of months, uh, suggestive of that. So I think it was one of those mysteries where people were perpetually waiting to find out the answer because it was an open-ended mystery as presented in The Little Prince. Uh, however, from my point of view, it's a closed mystery and the show has been up front and saying, sorry, oops, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't find ourselves in a position to be able to answer that thus uh well thus why i didn't discuss it too much but john your 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 criticism certainly is uh is uh, appropriate particularly in regards to um well you know i'm trying to cover everything on this show right and uh and i did not cover that particular mystery either in my analysis or in uh oh in the 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 trivia at the end that sort of thing so Anyhow, with that, uh, with that excellent point by John Bowman uh, out of the way, let's now jump into the Wikipedia summary for 505, This Place is Death. And indeed, speaking of the little prince, on the island, following the events of that previous episode, the latest time jump, which has brought the survivors to 1988, Jin and Danielle Russo's science team go in search of a radio tower that is broadcasting the numbers. They are attacked by the smoke monster, which kills Nadine and drags Montand into a tunnel that leads to a temple, severing his arm in the process. Robert Rousseau, Brennan, and Lacombe follow him into the tunnel, and another time jump brings Jin forward two months in time. He first encounters the recently killed bodies of Brennan and Lacombe. 
He then witnesses Danielle confronting her lover, Robert, because she believes that the rest of the team became infected while inside the temple. Each of them has a gun pointed at the other, and Robert convinces her that they should lower their weapons, then raises his and pulls the trigger. The gun does not fire, as Danielle had removed the firing pin, as revealed in solitary. She shoots him. Danielle attempts to kill Jin, but another time shift occurs, and Jin is reunited with the other survivors, Sawyer, Locke, Juliet, Miles, Charlotte, and Daniel. The group is on their way to the Dharma Initiative Orchid Station, where Locke believes he can find a way to leave the island in his attempt to bring back the Oceanic Six. Several time jumps occur, and Charlotte becomes so ill that she must stay behind, with Daniel choosing to stay with her. She tells Jin to keep his wife away from the island, saying, This place is death. She tells Locke to look for a well if the orchid station is not there. Later, she confesses to Daniel that she grew up on the island and that before she left, a man told her never to come back or she would die. She believes Daniel is this man and dies shortly thereafter. The other survivors arrive at the location of the orchid and find the well. Jin tells Locke to tell Sun that he died and gives Locke his wedding ring as proof because he does not want Sun or their child to to return to the island. While descending into the well, another flash occurs and Locke falls and injures his leg, resulting in a compound fracture. That's when it sticks out of your leg, by the way. Arriving in the frozen chamber with the wheel that Ben used to move the island in There's No Place Like Home, apparently Jack's deceased father, Christian Shepherd, greets Locke and tells him that he meant for Locke to move the island in the first place. Locke then pushes the wheel and leaves the island. In late 2007, Sun confronts Benjamin Linus during his meeting with Kate, Jack, and Saeed. She intends to kill him. However, he reveals to her that Jin is still alive on the island. She reluctantly agrees to go with him and Jack to another location where he can substantiate his claims. They go to a church where Ben shows her Jin's wedding ring, which Ben took from Locke as proof that Jin is still alive. Desmond arrives at the church in search for the mother of Daniel Faraday, implied to be Eloise Hawking. The four go inside the church, where Eloise is disappointed that Ben did not bring the rest of the Oceanic Six. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. Uh, A wonderful episode, a very fun episode. And uh, it's one that opens with an efficient recap. Then the episode proper picks up at a convenient point, just where we left off in the 2007 storyline with Sun watching everyone at the dock. As a side note, I mean, between this and the uh, the island story with Jin, it's almost almost like a two-parter. I mean, sure, there are tons of episodes that will, um, you know, have a cliffhanger at the end of the episode and then pick up immediately. But this is an episode that does that both in its flash story, in this case a flash forward, as well as its island story. So I think that's rather unique. Uh, Anyhow, we have the gun-toting mama who gets a call from her daughter, complete with a creepy reference of having met a new friend for her, Aaron. Now, more tellingly, and I I could be wrong about this, so John Bowman, get ready to check your files, but she concludes the phone call uh, to her daughter with an air of bittersweetness. I think that that is a fact. That's not uh, up for debate. What might be debatable is I read it 
as this wise moment for the show to include that sad moment because as i recall it's the last time the son will talk to her daughter now if i'm wrong i'm wrong and uh i'll know soon enough but i believe that's that certainly is how i read it in my in my rewatch that you know son is being melancholy because she's about to do this awful thing go kill ben but the show is including it as some sort of foreshadowing or some sort of reverse findable clue uh that you know she's done so much for for her child and now won't talk to her anymore um but anyhow indeed as i say the moment is played off as son ready to make a big decision which she does pulling a, a gun on ben ready to kill him for the death of her husband ben says that Jin isn't dead something that we knew of course and it's also a continuance from last week's Danielle cliffhanger in which we, the audience, were slightly ahead of the game. And with that, Ben adds that he can prove it. Now, that's not quite the stuff of a act-ending cliffhanger, and the show knows it. The story moves to Jin confirming, for those of us who missed last week's episode, uh, that he's with Danielle Rousseau. Jin wants to find the helicopter, now, I'll admit it took a little mental dialing back to remember that it's the Kahana chopper. It's all that stuff from the end of last season. Um, and at this point, there's a nice joke from the French about boats and helicopters. What's next? A submarine? Anyhow, the story rather tidily moves to the French wanting to find a radio tower and Jin being cajoled into joining them to search for said radio tower. Now, let's not forget this is to be the tower of Danielle fame. Uh, it's an effective end to the first act, as we realize that we're going to see, at least in some small way in the course of this episode, how Danielle became the feral, crazy jungle lady. Still, though, it's a Sun and Jin episode, and their central romance is reinforced by Jin reminding Danielle and us that he's searching for his wife. Still, though, the show delays the teaser act hook. Um, you know, we could have ended with with uh, Jin is still alive. We could have ended with uh, with uh, you know kind of the realization that they're headed towards the radio tower. But no, the show has been delaying this hook to the teaser act and continues to delay it. First, through a discussion about Alexander versus Alexandra, the baby of Rousseau's, uh, and then. The, this this tease, which we know is coming, it's brought even through Nadine, one of the French people, going missing. Nadine! Now that is an effective hook. After the title card, the show displays its lean, experienced sense of pacing. No smoky chase, yet. Instead, the suffocating, quiet terror of Nadine simply being missing. 
Her back is on the ground and no answers. Though answers do come quickly, and answers I think that we had all along. We must go. You shut up. Okay, on sépare et on la cherche. Elle doit pas être bien loin. C'est Brenan, la combe. Par ici. Okay. Moi, je vais aller par là. Dear Nadine, having fallen from the sky, or at least from Smokey's clutches from up above, it's now time to... which, my goodness, does not just sound so wonderful when you only have the sound. The sound design there is great. And nonetheless, the effects, the visual effects, are excellent as well. It's a product of the show's shorter production schedule, down to that blonde Frenchman being pulled into what looks like the corner of the temple and smoke tendrils wrapping around his arm as it gets pulled off. The red shirting ensues. All the Frenchmen go down to find their comrade. And rather tellingly, it's Papa Jin. Papa Jin, who stops Danielle from going down the hole. Now, up until this point, the view of the temple wall is most certainly underplayed. Though, after Jin zooms through time to find the Frenchie's arm, now quite decomposed, code for time has gone by. We see more of the temple, and it absolutely is you know, meant to be... Uh, you know, a mystery that we're going to pursue at a later time. No uh, no outrigger canoe here. With that, Jin sees a column of black smoke by the beach. Uh, vertical black smoke, mind you. And it initially feels like the season one cliffhanger. Though, thinking it through, of course, the arm would have been much more decomposed. But, you know, but there is nonetheless that feeling at the moment. And it's part of the, part of the beauty of the of this time skipping that uh, that the show has been doing. And, and of course it concludes in this episode uh, by and large. Um, but we truly don't know when we are. So the, the show is kind of able to get away with that little, um, oh, that little trick, if you will, that we don't quite know when it is. Um, anyhow, as I said, it's, it, it's a tad impossible that it's that much later. And sure enough, Jin sees the still pregnant Danielle talking to Robert. He explains that the smoke is good and merely a security system for the temple. Extra kudos for the camera shot, by the way, that allows Danielle to lower her gun and reveal the baby belly, just for some confirmation as to when we are. Now what happens next, of course we can see coming because we've heard about it. 
Robert tries to shoot, but he doesn't have the firing pin, and the crazed Danielle gets him. Nice little moment of him falling dead with the bullet hole right in the forehead. Uh, then Danielle goes after Jin, who runs, gets zoomed in another time jump, and then gets quote-unquote caught by Sawyer. Yippee, the group is back together. There's an act break, then Sawyer gets Jin up to speed. There's a joke that Miles must be Korean too. He, of course, notes that he's from Encino, not Korea. And Locke restates the central thrust of the island story. They must get to the orchid to stop the time jumps and bring everyone back. Everyone like Sun. With that, this, the show, rather, with a you know, good sense of time, uh, flashes forward to Sun playing some very hard ball. And Ben sees his opening. Take her and, gee whiz, everyone else to see a certain someone in Los Angeles, Miss Hawking. It's so easy, except the plan completely falls apart. I knew about this. No, no, I was. And that is why you're pretending to care about Aaron to convince me to go back there? I wasn't pretending anything. This is insane. You guys are crazy. Yeah, don't. Saeed, where are you going? I don't want any part of this. And if I see you or him again, it'll be extremely unpleasant for all of us. Thirty minutes, son. We can be there in thirty minutes. And you'll have proof. Proof that he's alive. Or you can shoot me and never know. Let's go. Despite things falling apart there i think that we can kind of sniff out i don't want to go as far as to say hand of the writer that's that's normally uh you know when when things are a bit too obvious but we can see that this is a a breaking of the fellowship so that they might come back together later on and uh, things feel vaguely headed to the island nonetheless and the story of course returns there Locke affirming that the the Going to the donkey wheel has got to be a one-man job. All the better to be the martyr. Then there's a bit of an explanation from Dan as to the, the orchid being a logical location. Uh, they then jump through time, not once but twice, battering not only Charlotte, who turns into warning them that this place is death, but it also batters Juliet and Sawyer as well with those nosebleeds. And it's to the show's credit that they don't oversell the bloody noses at this point. Either we, the audience, understand the threat, or we don't. And I think, clearly, we understand the threat. There's an act break, then 2007's son chastising Ben for not getting her to the church on time. It's due to that pesky L.A. traffic. It's an appropriately dark scene. It's night, it's in the shadowy van... And Jack's presence in that van is not immediately clear. Though when, when it is obvious that, that he's there, he's apologetic and mopey, though not for long. Son, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? For leaving Jin behind. When we landed that chopper on the boat, everything was just happening so fast. I knew he was down below, 
should have waited for him. Why are you telling me this now, Jack? Why are you going to ask me not to kill Ben if he's lying about my husband? After what he just did to Kate, if you don't do it, son, I will. What are you doing? What I'm doing is helping you. And if you had any idea what I've had to do to keep you safe, to keep your friends safe, you'd never stop thanking me. You want to shoot me, then shoot me, but let's get on with it. What's it going to be? Drive. It's a wonderful scene, not only for Michael Emerson's just fantastic acting, but again, I can't help but, uh, but, but not return to the low light used in the scene as they discuss such dark things. With that, the story returns to the island, where Juliet is clearly starting to skip through time, a la the constant. Never a good sign. The main group separates from Charlotte and Dan, but not before she gives the tip to look for the well in the event that there's no orchid station yet. With that bit of uh, writerly advice dispensed, it works out well. They find the orchid, Juliet remarks as to uh, the odds of having found it, and they zip back in time and quickly find the well, complete with rickety rope descending into the darkness. With that, Miles asks a question, and we quickly get an answer. No waiting or nothing. It's the new lost. How the hell did Charlotte know this was here? I've been here before. You've been... You've been here before? I grew up here, on the island. And there was this thing, this Dharma initiative. And then I moved away with my mum. Just my mum, and I never saw my dad again. And then when I got back to England, I would ask my mum, about this place, yeah? But she would say that it wasn't real and that I'd made it up. <laughs> That's why I became an anthropologist. To find this island again. That's what I've been searching for my whole life. Charlotte. <coughs> why are you telling me this? I remember something now. When I was little, living here, there was this man, this crazy man, and he really scared me. And he told me that I had to leave the island and never ever come back. He told me that if I came back, I would die. Charlotte. I don't understand. Daniel, I think that man was you. Now, I know on the one hand, they had only originally uh, signed the actress to do eight episodes and that the strike shortened season actually... um, kept her around because of how they needed to 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 move the bits and pieces of the story around but 
I like to think that this Charlotte, that not not just in this episode, but the Charlotte that the show now has produced, uh, I'd like to think that the show would have found her anyway, strike shortened season or not. And it's a pity that earlier in her run on the show, we didn't get more of this Charlotte, who has a truly interesting backstory and one that absolutely informs the closed loop nature of the show's version of time travel. Um, I mean, indeed, the only complaint is she just kind of dies and that's it. Uh, it's something that the show continues with, of course. I mean, I, th- I think it had to season six and Alana dying so <laughs> quickly, unceremoniously. It's just like, oh, somebody else is dead. Well, a couple more episodes till the show is over. Um, but I don't know. Charlotte's Charlotte's a special character where I think we have much less of an affinity for Ilana. But anyhow, back to this episode. Locke is all set to zip down. The well, that is. But Jin makes him promise, for whatever worth his word has, that he won't bring Sun back. Speaking of closed loops and further proof, I suppose, that we can trust in Locke, Jin makes him promise to say that Jin's dead and Jin hands uh, over the wedding ring. As proof. With that, Locke zooms down, having of course turned down the option of being lowered down as something less fun. And in a really interesting moment, I mean one that you could figure out ahead of time if you were put in charge of the show, I suppose, but it's nonetheless, you know, Locke mentions fun, it's great fun, that as another flash starts, we see that the light is originating from the bottom of the well yeah it makes sense but it's just like oh i get it it's 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 a really nice um a really nice moment and with that of course Locke falls with a particularly good bone crunch and finds that the well is covered up it is of course a convenient and elegant way to separate the group for good Uh, with that it's back to charlotte and dan who I had got ahead of myself uh, earlier. I apologize, but Charlotte's not dead yet. Um, Dan's all set to explain how his mother can help, that mysterious mother. Uh, but Charlotte jumps one more time and then, as I said earlier, rather unceremoniously dies. Show pauses briefly, and a bit too briefly for my tastes. We have an act break, then return to Locke with bones sticking out of his leg, shown just long enough to be gross. And he's all alone down there until that friendly face appears. Hello, John. You. What are you doing down here? I'm here to help you the rest of the way. I don't understand. You came to see me in the cabin. You asked me how to save the island, and I told you you had to move it. I said that you had to move it, John. But Ben said he he knew how to do it. He told me that I had to stay here and lead his people. And since when did listening to him get you anywhere worth a damn? you're here now you ready to go I, 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 I don't know 
what to do once I get there. There's a woman living in Los Angeles. Once you get all of your friends together, and it must be all of them, everyone who left, and once you've persuaded them to join you, this woman will tell you exactly how to come back. Who is she? Her name is Eloise Hawking. What if I can only convince someone to come back? I believe in you, John. You can do this. <laughs> Richard said I was going to die. Well, I suppose that's that's why they call it sacrifice. Now, something that I particularly enjoy about that scene is that knowing that Christian is actually Smokey adds to a wonderful bit of information for us. Smokey doesn't trust Ben. Ben might be a conflicted baddie, but he's not kind of the, the evil of Smokey. I think that's something that we want to to feel, something that we know it's that because he's such a fun character, we want to like him. And at the end of the day, he is likable, he is redeemable. And I like to think too that when Locke says he's going to die, that's the moment that Smokey starts to think of his plan, uh, to start to create the plan in order to take Locke's form. And something else to get from that scene it's so very interesting Smokey gives Locke advice but doesn't touch the wheel it doesn't help Locke up perhaps it's a subsection of rules of engagement that Smokey and Jacob have say hello to my son who's your son? at any rate Locke indeed is able to fix the wheel, he's able to turn it. The absolute implication is that he then makes his way off the island. I think there's, you know, for first-time viewers, there's no other conceivable uh, explanation for it. Then the story moves to Eloise's church. Ben produces his proof to son, it is Jin's wedding ring. It's a lovely Ben-esque little flip. Jin's proof of death now is proof that he's still alive. And it's enough to convince Sun to join their happy little group. Then, of course, Desmond shows up. Wait, what? I assume the same thing you are. You're looking for Faraday's mother, too. It is so very, very rare to see Ben surprised. But surprised he is. And the different parts, the different uh, corners of our characters, they all start to come together. Hello, Eloise. Hello, Benjamin. I thought I said all of them. This is all I could get on short notice. Well, I suppose it'll have to do for now. All right, let's get started.
You know, it is, of course, rare to see Lost end with a closed storyline. There's always the cliffhanger, the thing to repel us to next week. But that cliffhanger that you just heard is particularly good from a show of cliffhangers as it makes us absolutely desperate for the next episode. There's this wonderful pace to the season, uh, perhaps liberated not only by the shorter uh the shorter season, the shorter episode order, but you know, liberated from the the worry of the writer's strike or the worry to catch up. What do you do? It's just such wonderful pacing to this episode, and uh, has me excited for next for next week, of course. Uh, but we're not there yet. Let's take a look at the bits and pieces from Lostpedia that I've missed. And this first one is quite a good bit of trivia. This is the first episode of the entire series in which Ben and Desmond speak to each other. They had previously only been in one scene together at the cockpit wreckage in the beginning of the end. It's also the first time of the entire series to feature Ben and Son speaking to each other, even though both were in the same location during the beginning of the end. Also, this episode is only the second time Locke and Jin have spoken to each other in the entire series. They previously only had a small exchange in what Kate did, after Locke cut the handcuff off Jin's wrist. Isn't that just incredible, all three of those, uh, particularly uh, with, uh, with, with Locke and Jin? Uh, they also mention, uh, as of the end of this episode, Sawyer, Jin, and Claire are the last remaining members of the original 14 main cast members who are still on the island. Second, or I guess not second to last, third to last, there are a number of discrepancies between the revealed history of the science exposition and Danielle's account of the same as told 16 years later to Saeed and Hurley. This is likely the result of tr the trauma that occurred around the death of her team and her long isolation, seen in solitary in numbers. Penultimately, the camera lingers momentarily on a lamp post outside the church. The station by the same name is hidden beneath the church, as revealed in 316. Last but not least, this episode features the most number of time shifts, that number, of course, eight. With that, let's look ahead to next week. Next week's episode is, of course, as just mentioned, 506, entitled 316. If you can't follow all those numbers, certainly a great episode. Looking forward to getting to that one. As always, looking forward to getting together with you. So thank you one and all for listening. Now I'll talk to you all again next week with episode 506, entitled 316. Take care, everybody. And bye-bye.